It may be that you've never heard a message or a study based on the book of Zephaniah. Over the next few weeks we plan to examine this little book of just three chapters near the end of the Old Testament. It's there just after Habakkuk, so it's not too hard to find. Or maybe it's easier to go to the end of the Old Testament and turn back about 20 pages and you'll be near the mark. But first we need to understand some things about this man his place in history and how his book fits into the broader Bible story. First, we look at two fundamentals of that Bible story. When God called Abraham, he made a promise to him in Genesis 12 and he said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, blessing is God's favour granted to people for their good, both in this life and the next. God's purpose is to bless people. It's an unchanging divine purpose throughout all of scripture. But people must trust God for it to happen. Now later, after many years in Egypt, the people of Israel were miraculously delivered by God. At Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with them, which Moses confirmed when they prepared to enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses said to them, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you above all other nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed... And he went on to enumerate the blessings. But Moses continued, However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed... And he went on to list the curses. God made it clear that blessings follow obedience and curses result from disobedience. Curses are God's judgment upon disobedience. Now this is an unchanging divine principle. And people must choose whether they will obey or not. Now in 930 BC, following the death of Solomon, the original land of Israel, which God gave to his people, was divided into a northern kingdom of ten tribes, still with the name Israel, and then a southern kingdom of the remaining two tribes with the name Judah. A period of economic prosperity led eventually 
to spiritual decay and disobedience. God's judgment became inevitable. The northern kingdom of Israel was overtaken by the cruel and pagan Assyrians in 722 BC. The smaller kingdom at the south, Judah, was now alone and became virtually a kind of sub-state of mighty Assyria. But interestingly, in time, the Babylonians rose to power and they defeated Assyria. They then went on to occupy Judah in 587 BC and many of its people were taken away to Babylon as exiles. Now we can represent this on a timeline and see that uh, Judah had struggled on for a period of 135 years. God had sent several prophets to speak his words to the people of Judah, men like Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Yet we note that there was a period of about 50 years when there was no prophetic ministry in Judah. Spiritual decay and disobedience spread widely. Now Hezekiah had been a godly king and he was succeeded by his son Manasseh who ruled through most of that silent period. Sadly, he adopted the worship of Baal and the worship of the stars. He set up altars to idols in the temple at Jerusalem, even sacrificed his own son there. Amon was king briefly, but he also did evil as Manasseh had done. It was a sad period of time for Judah. Now into this dark scene came Zephaniah as a faithful prophet and Josiah as a godly king. Josiah set about reforming his people's disobedience. When repairing the neglected temple in Jerusalem, they found the book of the law, very likely the book we know of as Deuteronomy. Yes, they were God's people and his purpose was to bless them. He would fulfil that purpose if they trusted him. They would have read again those verses about blessings and curses that we read earlier from Deuteronomy 28 and they would have been reminded of that fundamental principle regarding obedience and disobedience. Now God did become the centre of life and worship for many of Judah's people, at least for a time. But Zephaniah had to warn them that there was trouble ahead. Now his little book is a compact summary of the message of many of the Old Testament prophets. His theme is the day of the Lord. And he refers to it one way or another 17 times in the three chapters. 
The term the day of the Lord is used by several other writers in scripture. It describes an occasion when God, the Lord Almighty, intervened in human history in a dramatic way to further his unchanging divine purpose in keeping with his covenants. It is not usually a literal 24-hour day, but rather a specific period of time when God works. Now, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord had overtones of trouble and judgment. For example, in Amos 5.18, first use of the phrase in Scripture, we read, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. That day will be darkness, not light. When we get to the New Testament, the meaning expands somewhat to include hope and joy. In 1 Thessalonians 5.2, Paul linked the day of the Lord with the return of Jesus, which will occur unexpectedly, but bring great blessings to believers. However, it will be a very different outcome for those who do not live well, who do not look for Jesus' return. It is again that principle that obedience brings blessings and disobedience brings curses. God's unchanging purpose is to bless his world and its people. And he relentlessly pursues that purpose throughout history. Now, the name Lord, spelt in capital letters, is God's special name for use by his people. And it reminds them of his covenant commitment to them and his faithfulness in keeping his word. What he actually does depends on whether the people obey him or not. Well, now, with all that background, we can now turn to what God said through his prophet Zephaniah. I'll put most of the verses on the screen so that we're all looking at the same thing at the same time. Verse 1 is the introduction. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Amon, king of Judah. They loved rhyming names. But it's interesting, this little verse gives more information about Zephaniah's ancestry than is given for any other Old Testament prophet. Why? We know two useful things about this man and his early life. He was from a royal background. He understood the ways of rulers and nations. But then he also came from a godly background and therefore he was also aware 
of the purpose and the ways of God. Now we've already mentioned that Zephaniah's ministry took place when Josiah was king of Judah and that was possibly at the early part of his reforming reign. Now we go on and here immediately we start a big section of this little book. We come to this section on a day of judgment. First of all, verses 2 and 3. God says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both men and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The wicked will have only heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Verse 2 begins with a declaration from God regarding upheaval of the whole planet. This universal judgment is pictured here as a kind of reversal of creation. Human beings, animals, birds, fish will all be swept away. God would act and the outcome would be devastating. Zephaniah was given a view of a future time when God would act in a dramatic way to further his purposes for the world and for its people. We go on to the next paragraph. God says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal the names of the pagan and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Moloch, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Now here we find that God's message narrows to apply specifically to Judah and to those who live in Jerusalem. Now at first that's surprising to us as the people of Judah were God's people. The temple in Jerusalem was where God was present among his people. But we're also told the reason for God's anger the people had turned back from following the Lord. They gave their worship to Baal. They appointed pagan priests. They bowed down to the stars. They made vows in the names of idols. They had turned their backs on their Lord they no longer followed him or communed with him. They had broken the first commandment. And the divine principle is 
that disobedience brings curses. Reading on, starting at verse 7. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods, little g, with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will go up from the fish gate, wailing from the new quarter, well-known places in Jerusalem, and a loud crash from the hills. Now, verse 7, there's the first use of that phrase by Zephaniah, the day of the Lord. And God had prepared a sacrifice. But instead of being the usual animals, it would be a sacrifice of people, the people of Judah. Those who should have brought the sacrifice would become the sacrifice. And amongst them, noble people, notable people, fashion setters, smart business operators, complacent people, those who carelessly followed the Lord when it pleased them. Further, corrupt priests would be replaced by others God had chosen and consecrated. We move to the next paragraph. Wail, you who live in the market district. All your merchants will be wiped out. All who trade with silver will be ruined. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing either good or bad. Their wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. They will build houses but not live in them. They will plant vineyards but not drink the wine. What people did by way of dress, their business dealings, their daily behaviour was an outward expression of their inward beliefs. They were disobedient people, assuming that life would go on in the future as it had in the past. And some, as in verse 12, said that God wouldn't do anything about it. But dramatic change would come. And it did come. We know the history. It came in 587 by way of the Babylonians. But God continues, the great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry of the day of the Lord will be bitter, the shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish. 
a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry across the fortified cities and against the corner towers. Now in this paragraph we're taken back to that whole earth scene as mentioned previously in verses 2 and 3. And notice it's called here that great day of the Lord. And it says it's near and coming quickly. This suggests it would be unexpected. Yet it would be a time, and there's an awful list of adjectives, wrath, distress, anguish, trouble, ruin, darkness, gloom, fighting and confusion. It's hard to imagine such a time. God continues, I will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed. For he will make a sudden end of all who live in the earth. Is that true? Righteous judgment is the inevitable outcome of disobedience. And nobody will escape. The whole world will be consumed. So another point about this great day of the Lord is that it would be a final day of utter disaster for many, many people. There's a strange term in verse 18. It talks about God's jealousy. Now to us that's a feeling of envious resentment. But not so with God. You see he is the one worthy of all praise and worship. And his jealousy is the positive response when what is rightfully his is given to false gods. Now it seems here that Zephaniah is giving us a kind of double vision. He wants us to learn lessons from Judah's day of the Lord. But that day, that particular day, and other days of the Lord we shall hear about next week, seem to be like previews of this final great day of the Lord. Well, okay, we grasp something of that thought. But what about these poor people in Judah in Zephaniah's time? And we move into chapter 2. 
preparing for the day of the Lord. Gather together, gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives and that day sweeps on like chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Now, so far, this message from the little book is one of doom and judgment. But in chapter 2, there's a change. With guidance as to how people could respond to Zephaniah's gloomy message. A narrow beam of light shines in the darkness and the gloom. Even with this final great day of the Lord, there is a ray of hope. You see, we wonder whether there were still some faithful ones in Judah who had not turned away from God. Maybe there were others who realised as they heard Zephaniah speak that they had sinned against God and they would respond by making things right with him. Verse 3 here calls upon them to seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps they would find shelter from the promised devastation. They were not to jump to conclusions as some did back in verse 12 of chapter 1 who assumed the Lord won't do anything, either good or bad. But he is a God who keeps his word. Judgment would come. But perhaps they would be sheltered on that terrible day of the Lord's anger if they made the choice to obey Well now the conclusion as we come to the end of this morning's study. During this troubled up and down history of Judah the people had rebelled against God and had turned to idols. Now we've been reminded of two biblical fundamentals. God's primary purpose is to bless people. But it requires their obedience. If they chose to disobey, the inevitable outcome must be judgment. And yet here in that time, God provided his erring people with godly leaders. Together these two godly men warned of a dreadful approaching day of the Lord and urged their people to turn from their disobedience and follow the living God. Now we know from the Old Testament history that disaster did fall upon Jerusalem and Judah in 587 BC. The Lord Almighty did intervene in a dramatic way. 
It was indeed the day of the Lord that Zephaniah had warned them about. But then God has also given us a preview of a worldwide upheaval. A great day of the Lord. But we can say that such a time of worldwide disaster has not yet occurred. It remains true that God's unchanging purpose is to bless us, but we must trust him. The unchanging divine principle remains that obedience brings blessings, but disobedience brings curses. And the choice remains with us. Now the Apostle Paul said in his day, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Then the Apostle Peter, writing to believers who were under real pressure because of their Christian faith, He reminded them, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But the day of the Lord will come. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? So there's a word here in this little old book for us in our day. And can I ask you to think carefully about these things? Yes, it did happen long, long ago. But it demonstrated the truth of some unchanging things in our world. God longs to bless us but we must trust him blessing follows obedience judgment follows disobedience next week we'll look more closely at the rest of chapter 2 of Zephaniah And then there's a few printed notes on the table at the back as you leave of this morning's study. But now we're going to pray. But don't close your eyes, please. I want that we all pray together the words that are on the screen. Let us all pray. To him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, now and forever. Amen.